Yes, hello, Tyler Say Riley here. Before we start, just wanted to remind everyone of Bazaar Plus, our membership program where you can get extra episodes every week. Just simply go to the link in the show notes. It's Sports Bazaar. There's a lot to like in this story. It's getting more ridiculous as it goes on. The hunt for the weirdest. What are you talking about? Are you serious? What? So many questions. Okay, I'm going to have to stop you here. <laughs> strangers. Unflattering, but essentially accurate. I'm quite exhausted. <laughs> it's going to get stranger and stranger. Most unbelievable. If you wrote this as a movie, people wouldn't believe Stories it. Stories to ever occur. An epic tale of woe, joy, nutty behaviour. The fact that it's not more well known is just the strangest. Thing. In the world of sport. This is going to get juicy here, isn't it? We should open a window or something. <laughs> Sports Bazaar. How many testicles did he have? Eight. I'm <laughs> running naked down a major street in Chicago. <laughs> this, of course, is the last time organised crime and boxing of Crossdove. Got up in a press conference. We're here to announce we've swapped our wives. What is going on? It's time for the leaders of the hunt. Got household names for me. It's surely a red flag. It's Titus O'Reilly and Mick Malloy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Sports Bazaar. Thank you again uh, for all your support. The odd bit of hate mail. No, <laughs> it's all grist to our mill. So thank you for continuing to listen to our hoo-ha. Hello, Titus, of course. Well, it's good to be here. And, yeah, people keep sending through ideas for stories, so I can't thank them enough for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them were already had identified, some yes. not. So we'll be getting to all of those. But... We've covered cycling, we've covered baseball, we've covered a bunch of ones, yeah. but we haven't done yet the biggest sport in the world. Football. Correct. As it's I known. I thought you were going to say badminton. <laughs> Ten-pin bowling. <laughs> That's right. Of course, soccer in some places. Soccer in but... some places, and if you want to get people who are football fans around the world annoyed, call it soccer. Yeah. But for this sake, we're going to call it football go just football. to make sure. We don't want to upset the majority of people in the planet. You know, just we, we're probably going to do it anyway, but we don't yeah. want to. Okay. So I should just, before we start, there are a lot of Spanish names in this. And okay. so I'm just going to apologize. Do it with a Spanish accent? No, well, no, I was going to apologize for my pronunciation <laughs> before we even start. Right. Um, you know, I'm the whitest man in the planet. I think so, it's pronunciation, yeah. actually. <laughs> so <laughs> today's episode is called The Battle of Montevideo, which is. Okay. A famous football match that not everyone would know, but was a, a series of football matches that led up to this Battle of Montevideo. And it was in the 1967 International Cup. I would have been one years old. Really? At you that were, stage, yes. So you remember this. Maybe I was you a, grew up on this story. Was it a, a battle of who? So this is between two clubs, the Scottish giant club Celtic, which many people would well, be aware, well aware of. of. And the Argentinian side racing club, which we'll get into both of those okay. clubs a little bit. So the International Cup was this early idea. It's the first club world championship. So unlike the World Cup, which is national teams, it was when South American football was booming, European football was booming in the late 50s. They thought, why don't we get the best club in Europe to play the best club in South America? What could go wrong? Well, you know, just a clash of cultures, <laughs> but everyone loves football and there wasn't, you know, wasn't it? And it begins in 1960. And so the first two years of this tournament are just huge success. So you've got players like Pelé playing in front of sold-out stadiums in Europe and South America. A rare opportunity to see a, a yeah, bona fide star up close. Up close. On home turf. Um, Pelé Santos swept to the crown in 1962 and everyone was like, this tournament, 
is the future. Yeah. It's international. It's bringing football fans and cultures closer together. It'll outlive us all. <laughs> there, there are no clouds on the horizon. And so it kept going like there's a huge PR success. Things between the Europeans and the South Americans, though, from that point on start to go south. South. Very south. <laughs> Very south. It's pre-Falklands. <laughs> yeah, pre-Falklands. All right. Yeah, that hadn't even started. That didn't help. In fact, the seeds of the Falklands. <laughs> that's probably this is what it was all about. <laughs> this is the seeds of it. No, few historians have identified this as the problem, but yeah. it, it gets into that. The 1962 World Cup, there was a match between Italy and Chile, which uh, Chile won 2-0, and it was billed as the Battle of Santiago. So already we've got a battle. It's never good when a match is described as, as a battle. battle. <laughs> and it was famously labelled by the BBC commentator David Coleman as and I quote, the most stupid, appalling, disgusting, and disgraceful <laughs> exhibition of football possibly in the history of the game. Wow. No stars. <laughs> he didn't like it. And it was like that. Within minutes, one of the uh, Italian players is about to go off and he refuses to go off for eight minutes. <laughs> and then there's like broken bones. There's all stuff. That's almost another podcast in its entirety. And then at the same time, at the 66 World Cup, England play Argentina in a quarterfinal, and it was so brutal, the Argentinians coming physical fouls all through it, yeah. that the England manager, Alf Ramsey, described them as animals okay. and refused to allow his players to swap jerseys with them at the end. Wow, under club orders. Club orders, you're not allowed to. We, they, so the, the tension at was this already point. There. Yeah, and, and already the game's in the International Cup was starting to get a bit tense too. So there was this view that the South Americans were up to dirty tricks and the yeah. Europeans were starting to get a bit sick of it. And the fans were behaving okay at this stage? Oh, no, there was a fair <laughs> bit of that. It had gone from being this friendly, growing yeah. football, beautiful thing to starting to get a bit nasty on the pitch. This match in 1967 will blow everything up completely. That's it. It just absolutely – so – Celtic at the time, they had not been very good for a while, but a guy called Jock Stein, who many people would have heard of if you've got any knowledge of football, he came in as Celtic manager in 1965. And the club, and unlike today, it was all local players. So right. basically 14 of his 15 men came from within 10 miles of Celtic Park. And the only play that didn't was from 30 miles away. <laughs> a ring-in. Yeah, he was considered <laughs> Out of town. a foreigner. Highly suspicious <laughs> he was of their, him. He was their foreign signing. Didn't care for him in his time. <laughs> he would probably have a different accent if I know those parts. Oh, in Scotland. I, 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 you can get it down to a two-block radius. Oh, I absolutely. Think. And I can't understand any of them, <laughs> you know. I've, I had some of my best nights out drinking with some Scots. And yeah. It was one of my most fun nights. I still don't know anything we talked about. So I got a cab once from Glasgow down to Ayrshire for a wedding, and it's about a three-hour cab ride. Yeah. And about five minutes in, the bloke was talking to me, and I couldn't understand a word. But I said to him, I said, mate, please just keep talking, and I'm just going to laugh occasionally. <laughs> And react to what you're saying. But make no mistake, I have no idea what you're talking about. I think that's the basis of every relationship I've ever been in. <laughs> so anyway. A lot of nodding. A lot of nodding. Yeah, lot of nodding. Yes, yes. So Jock Stein rocks up to this club in 965. They've not been good, but he doesn't get rid of any of the players. He just keeps them. Right. Get some of the younger lads, some of the ones that have been out of favour, and he turns them into this powerhouse. And by the 66-67 season, Celtic are on fire, absolutely playing incredibly well. I'm going to give you some Jock Stein quotes <laughs> just to give you a sense of the man, right? <laughs> and he's one of the greats of Scottish football, sure. right? Like was revered. 
much like Anne Potts the Coglu now at Celtic, yes. loves to attack and brought back excitement. Yep. Jock was very similar that he loved to attack. He said the best place to defend is in the opposition penalty box. So just to, wow. if you're attacking, that's you're how on. you defend, right? That's classic Stein. Yeah, he said the secret of being a good manager is to keep the six players who hate you away from the five who are undecided. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing these Which down. Which is just amazing. I think at some point in the future we've got to do one on the old firm, the Rangers versus Celtic Absolutely. rivalry because Protestant versus Catholic, different areas, different classes, all that stuff going into that one. I come from Australia, a full disclosure, but I went and saw Hearts Hibs yeah. uh, in uh, Edinburgh and it was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. That was the, yeah. the similar clash. And, and then the old firms turned up to 11. And I went there on game day and it was Rangers home game and all I remember is getting off a train and then noticing how every shop was closed and the windows were boarded up. And this <laughs> like, went on for about a five-kilometre radius around the ground. I go, what's going on? They go, game day. <laughs> it's like a hurricane-like like, season. It's like a Category 5 is heading to this town, batting down the hatches. Celtic were the Catholic club. Correct. Protestant was at Rangers. Rangers. Rangers wouldn't for a long time, even when Jock in the 60s was there, wouldn't sign a Catholic player. So he once got asked by journalists, Jock, if there were two players, one Catholic and one Protestant, who would you sign? And he said, the Protestant. And he's a Celtic. Yeah. And they said, why? And he goes, because I know the Rangers would never sign a Catholic, so I'd just pick him up later. <laughs> this guy's a genius. Yeah. My favourite one he ever did, he was on air on TV and it's him and the Rangers manager, Scott yes. Simon, being interviewed at the same time okay. ahead of an old firm match. Even that would get tense. I Even, yeah, that I was dead. The TV presenter says, Scott Simon, Rangers manager, what do you think the score will be in the old firm match? And Simon says, I think 2-0 to Rangers. And then the TV presenter said, and you, Mr. Stein, what will the old firm score be? And he said, only a fool would try and predict the score in an old firm game. <laughs> <laughs> he is throwing haymakers. Yeah, so everything he says, this guy. So he's a guy that just brings his players in. He's tough, firm. Yeah. He was known as being able to give them a good yelling, but he also was one of those managers that could yell, but he, they, they knew yeah, he loved yeah. them. So they had qualified to play Inter Milan in Lisbon for the European Cup. And this was a huge turnaround. He joins in 65. In the 66-67, he's there competing for the European Cup, but he hasn't moved any players on. He's got yeah. basically the same players. So the team train ahead of this match, and Stein wouldn't let any of his players go out in the sun during the day to keep them free from sunburn. <laughs> These big <being> Scots. <laughs> so he's like, don't go outside. Should have hankies on their heads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In the clannish, classic UK tradition. He then had a training session and Inter had swapped their training session so they could watch Celtic train. So all right. the players, all the interplayers are there. And it was sort of these mind games. The interplayers were reporting, sitting there laughing and joking while they watched Celtic train. So Stein tells Stein's his... Stein's not going to enjoy that. Stein's not in it. So he tells his player that they wouldn't be showing them anything, that he made them all play in different positions and advise them to keep giving the ball away all the time. <laughs> cough up the pill. Yeah, it's like cough it up, look terrible, play out of position. Play like you're drunk. Yeah. So he does that. So big was this match, though, that from Glasgow, heaps of fans travelled over to Lisbon. All the flights sold out, all the hotels. People were cramming into vans and cars to make the 30-hour drive to wow. get there. This is how much people bankrupted themselves for years to come to go to this. To this is this. the passion of the Celtic fans. One of the most amazing stories is a gentleman decided to remortgage his home 
<laughs> so he could afford to go. And when he got home, he found out he'd been divorced by his wife. <laughs> and it was still worth it. It was still worth I'd it. I'd do it again. So they go over there and they're not meant to beat Inter Milan, but they do. They end up winning 2-1 and they become the champions of Europe. Oh, I would love that. And Stein's they? the master coach. They're off as the first British club ever to the Intercontinental Cup and to win the European Cup. So he's done amazing things. No English club had done it at this stage. Do they know at this stage who they're going to play? or They then to... find out they're going to be playing Racing Club, which is Racing Club de Alavenda. They're officially known as Racing Club or often just called Racing. And they're an Argentinian team and near Buenos Aires. They're founded in 1903 and they're one of the big five clubs of Argentinian Absolutely. football. And they're actually known as El Prima Grande, which is the first big club because they were the first one to win seven league titles in a row. They won the National Cup. They did all sorts of things. So this is a huge club at the time. I would love to is. see football in Argentina. I have been to Brazil for a World Cup. Yeah. And that just blew me away. During a Brazil game, right, you know, people were watching this game on everything possible. I thought this would be the best time to call a cab because most people are, Indoors yeah, and watching it. And you know, we sometimes watch on our phones. Yeah. The cab driver had a TV <laughs> on his dashboard and rigged up to his car. So we're sitting and driving in traffic while he's watching a full screen TV that's mounted on the dashboard of his car. Gee, they and love it. And South American, the, I've been to South America a few yeah. times. The driving is not safe. He was impeccable. He, he was better than most of the others. But, but I went, okay, I get it. These people are pretty serious about this game. Yeah. So racing are just huge. They've got this massive following. They've beaten a Uruguayan club to win what is the South American equivalent of the European Cup. Yep. And they're through. And so they look at Celtic and they watch the Celtic game against Inter Milan and see how good Celtic are. Celtic playing this amazing attacking, free-flowing. Yeah. They're very fit. They're very organised. Jock Stein's one of the first coaches and managers to train with a ball that was seen wow. as, instead of just running, it was seen as revolutionary. <laughs> and he would actually analyse the opposition and look at So they were tactics. taken seriously by racing? Very were... seriously. Racing actually watched it. Juan Jose Pizzuti, who was their manager, he watched them dismantle Inter and he came up with one conclusion which is going to have big ramifications. He decided that they needed to take whatever measures necessary to stop Celtic from winning by provoking them okay. beyond endurance. <laughs> so I think we've laid the groundwork for an epic encounter. <laughs> so the first game is in Hampton Park in Glasgow, which is not Celtic's traditional one. It's a so bigger this is ground. a series. Best of two is okay. the way it starts out. And 83,000 people go, makes 60,000 pounds back then, so a huge amount of money in tickets. The stadium is just packed full. Yeah. Like, can't really fit 83,000, but there's 83,000 people there. And you got to remember, this is Celtic are basically, they are all Scottish players, and the Argentinian side racing are all Argentinian players. Right. So it's, even though it's club football, yeah. it's really international it's, football. It's coming down to bloodlines. So at 8 p.m. on 18th October 1967, it's cold. Glasgow evening, Celtic kickoff, and almost immediately it becomes clear that racing have come to get a draw and try and win back <laughs> okay, at home. So yeah. they're just parked the bus. They're just doing everything to time waste, yeah. annoy the Celtic side. Ten minutes have passed and Jimmy Johnson is this amazing winger for Celtic, star of the game at yes. the time. He's the guy that dribbles past ten defenders. Like he's that good. <laughs> 
He appears free on goal and a foul from one of the racing defenders stops him in his track. And it should have been in a penalty, but the referee gives it away outside. But it then starts to just be the first of many cynical fouls. So racing are just, every time Celtic play gets the ball, they just cut just them chopping down. Chopping them down, yeah. Yeah, it just keeps coming. They get start to get angrier and angrier, the Celtic players. And it sort of teeters on the edge of a pitch battle, but doesn't quite get there in a way. The Spanish referees kind of trying to restore order. At the same time, the Argentinians are spitting on the Celtic players. So it's getting like, which is not what you want, to the point where when Jimmy Johnson, the winger, goes in at halftime to the dressing room, he's got bruised and battered legs completely, and his red hair is covered with spit to the point he has to have a shower. (laughs) So so it's not going well. In the second half, a guy called Billy McNeil, he scores a header in the 67th minute, and this turns out to be the only goal of the game. So Celtic are going to win. But in the act of scoring, he gets an elbow in the face, which leaves him with a black eye. Okay. So it's a very angry game, but it doesn't really blow up. But it's seen as racing have been very cynical and played defensive bruising football. No one's really that happy. Well, it hasn't paid off for them, though, has it? They 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 wanted to come home with a point for their away game, and they didn't get it. They didn't get it. Billy McNeil's got a black eye. Bertie Old, he's been headbutted. And Bobby Lennox has sustained a vicious blow on the ear, which ruled him out of playing for Scotland on the weekend. And Stein comes out and says almost every Celtic player needs treatment for Knox, and he's pretty angry. And they've been spat on all through spat the Spat on all through the game. I can understand but, if they were playing Wales. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's then a 20-hour flight for Celtic to get to Argentina yes. for the next game. And they're very apprehensive of what it's going to be. But they arrive. And everyone's happy and greeting them and it's all friendly. It wasn't ugly scenes it wasn't at the ugly airport. Scenes. It's, all, it's all lovely and they think, oh, well, this is okay, you know. By the time they actually get to the stadium, racing stadium is called Il Cilandro, which is the cylinder. And it's very close to another team, Independes, who's their main rivals. They're 200 metres apart. So you've got these two huge okay. stadiums near each other. You know, there's a few Celtic fans that have made the trip, which is about... 200 pounds it cost them, yep. which is about three and a half grand in today's money in pounds. Yep. They make the way over. But the thing about this stadium is it's big uh, sort of oval, but so at the end where the goals are, the crowd's really close, but on the wings, they're far away. Gotcha. So I it's sort it. of shaped like a cylinder. And it's known as being quite hard place to play. They come out Celtic. There's 120,000 fans in the stadium. Now it's got seating and it can only fit 67. So you can imagine in the space now in a modern day. It would have been a heaving, throbbing cauldron of activity from the fans. It's absolutely full on. Now I want you to think about this and what would happen if this happened today. Billy McNeil, who plays for Celtic, describes it as horrific. So these are tough Scots, but they're like saying it's genuinely scary. So they're warming up and suddenly the Celtic players hear the fans all go up cheering. And they're like, what's happening? And they turn around and Ronnie Simpson, who's their goalkeeper, is lying unconscious on the ground. <laughs> what? Because someone's thrown a bottle from the crowd and hit him in the head. Some people said later it was a stone fired from a catapult. We don't really know. So it was either a bottle or a catapult. He goes down. Game hasn't even started. As long as the bottle wasn't offside. Yeah. It was, it was, <laughs> this is incredible. So but you think is, they don't stop the game. You think today if a goalkeeper gets knocked out before the game starts. Everyone hit the showers. Everyone hit the showers. It's over. They don't stop. They say to the John Fallon, who's the replacement keeper, out you go. <laughs> Sit on your helmet. <laughs> wow. So he has to go out and he starts warming up. Imagine with some trepidation. Yeah. 
thinking <laughs> his mind Absolutely. wasn't probably fully on the job. Hoping this doesn't go to a penalty <laughs> shootout, I reckon is what he's hoping. Yeah, exactly. So they start um, they abandon all defensive play that they did on the first leg. They start attacking straight away. But Celtic take the lead 22 minutes in. Johnson was brought down the penalty box. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Tommy Gamble gets up and takes the penalty kick for Celtic and scores. But while he's lining up for the penalty kick, the Argentinian press photographers, and there's like hundreds of them behind the oh, goal, no. they all rush forward half onto the pitch and start making obscene gestures. Of way. These are the f- official <laughs> photographers. <laughs> These are the official photographers. They've got passes. Yeah, and they start yelling at him and doing all this. And then anyway, finally he scores. Did anyone get a shot of it? <laughs> well, everyone <laughs> runs onto the field. And one of the radio commentators grabs one of the players and does an interview. <laughs> How do you think it's going? Yeah. Not well. Things are a bit bent out of shape here. <laughs> and then everyone takes ages for them to get everyone to go. These aren't the fans. These are just no, the these, press. These are officials. These are officials. Get them off the pitch again. These so people they have lanyards. Yeah. Racing Club rally and they equalise on the 34th minute with a great goal. So that's the first. The second half then takes off. Racing take the lead again. Another great bit of play. And this time, instead of the photographers swarming on, the fans all swarm onto oh the ground. God. And the Celtic players have to sort of get away from it. That's a code red, that is. Yeah, that's... one of the photographers lists one of the racing players up on his shoulders <laughs> to celebrate the goal. So they're getting all this stuff happen. Oh, yeah. There's the pitch invasions. It's a bit rough and ready, but it's pretty chaotic. And after this, the game ends racing of 1-2-1. It's even. There's sort of this decision that the Uruguayan referee has done a really good job of stopping it blowing up. Like the right. first game was far more dirty. Cantankerous. Apart from the goalkeeper getting knocked out. Oh, in but the but if we can push that to one side <laughs> yeah, we can just move, and move, move past that, I think it's been played in good spirit. So they said, well, this uh, Uruguayan official, he was more used to the Argentinians' antics. Yeah. So he really was on top of it. Wasn't his first rodeo. What happens is the Argentinian fans at the game, the Uruguayans who are like, it's only like just across the border. Yeah. They've come over to support Celtic because they just hate Argentina. <laughs> so in the streets outside the stadium, there's pitch battles. Between the Uruguayans and the Argentinians. I saw this at the World Cup because the Brazilians hate the Spanish. Yeah. And when Australia was playing Spain, they turned up in the biggest numbers you've ever seen to basically support Australia. Just to sort, yeah. There's Just a lot of, to, it was absolutely, we were their proxy. Yeah. So they start fighting out and things. The dressing room gets run over by fans. And so all the Celtic players are in there and there's all these fans that cram in. There's all the reporters come in, all the officials, and it's just nuts. They can't get changed, and they're all stuck with everyone in their dressing room. They're getting really angry about this and going, like, we've had a goalkeeper knocked out. It's been argy-bargy on the field. Now we're being held in a siege situation. Now it's a siege situation. Their chairman, Bob Kelly of Celtic, says, I'm not going to let you play a third game because the rules were there's no away goal rule. It's decided that it has to go to a third game. And he's saying, I'm not letting you play it. There's a bit of argument. Stein says, I want to play to make sure racing don't win this. It's not that we want to win it anymore. This has become a point of pride. We don't want them to win it. The Uruguayans say, if it's held in our country, we'll make sure it's all well-regulated and under control. Did they (laughs) So don't don't trust those Argentinians. We'll host it in Montevideo. Celtic finally agree this and say, okay, against our better judgment, we'll play it. Jock Stein, though, he takes a front foot approach and says that they're not putting up 
with any of this stuff. They're going to give as good as they yeah. get on the pitch. Okay. If there's any mucking around, you've been gonna... warned. Now the stadium it's going to play at the uh, Stadio Centurino, it's much better. It's got a moat around it. <laughs> like all good football gloves have. It's got a moat around for player safety. For player safety, and it's impossible to basically throw something onto the pitch. Oh, this is fantastic. so they're like, and there's a steel barrier as well to stop people running on. Okay. So the Celtics think, okay, this is going to be better. It turns out that this is not the case. Stein says in the lead up to the press, the time for politeness is over. We're going to give as much as we're forced to take. So he's right into it. 30,000 Argentinians travel uh, across the river play to uh, Uruguay, to the capital, and decide on the way to visit Celtic's hotel in the early hours of the morning and wake them up. The rest of the 65,000 crowd is Uruguayans. Yeah. So sort of Celtic fans, basically. Meant to be Celtic fans, right? So the Scots think, you know what we'll do? We'll get a Uruguayan flag and walk out holding the Uruguayan flag. And carry some flavour. Carry some flavour. So they do that. They send a guy off to find a Uruguayan flag. They walk out and they say, well, they got some nice reaction, but they thought, gee, we didn't get as big a reaction to the Uruguayan flag as we'd hoped. It turns out that the Argentinians racing had walked out with a bigger Uruguayan flag (laughs) (laughs) a minute before. It's a big swinging flag competition. That's right. So this is the Battle of Montevideo. This is you've had all this build-up and it's been nasty and not great. A couple of seconds after kickoff, the referee blows his whistle for the first foul and like so it's seconds into the game they're already kicking each other and this suddenly starts all these niggly fouls and it becomes mini battles and people pushing and shoving the game becomes almost secondary celtic unlike in the early games they start retaliating yeah so it's gone from just one side doing it to both sides starting to do everything they can the referee through an interpreter calls the captain in (laughs) and says if this doesn't stop i'm just going to start randomly sending players off right so just Ten minutes before the uh, the end break, the dam sort of bursts of the tension that's been building up. Jimmy Johnson's hacked to the floor by a guy called Rooley, and as he lays on the floor, a number of his teammates all start to just try and get retribution. All start grabbing, and you know, punches are thrown. Five minutes of anarchy just erupt yeah. of pushing yeah. and shoving. It's lawless. The riot police are called in <laughs> for the players. For the players. <laughs> To control the incident. So the riot police are out there. Therefore, the referee who's losing control, he sends off Celtics Bobby Lennox and Racing's Alfio Basile. Stein claims mistaken identity and says Lennox has to stay on the pitch. Right. Only for a police officer carrying a sword to insist he leaves. (laughs) So a police officer walks out with a sword and at the point of a sword sword they they just carry them in South America he literally marches uh, Lennox off with a sword (laughs) so it's going this way that was bound to happen it turns out the referee says I'm not sending him off for anything he's done I'm sending him off because I said I'd send two players off if this kept up and and I've just picked two six minutes later Racing Club take the lead with a 25 yard shot that goes in and it's the only bit of quality play in the whole game. Celtic have got a man off. There they are behind. Then with 15 minutes to play, John Hughes, who's a Celtic player, he kicks a fallen Sayas, who's one of the players, and he's given his marching orders too. So he's sent off. So now they are a man down. Yeah. Rooley then punches John Clark, another player, and he's also sent to the sidelines. 
So they're all getting players wow. sent off. While this fight's going on, Tommy Gemmell, he's sick of racing's number 11, Raffo, who's been mixing him. So while the umpire's trying to sort all this out, he kicks Raffo in the groin. And he says, in his own words, he said he gave his aggressor an almighty kick in the ghoulies. <laughs> Was it a scissor kick at least? Yeah, just it totally did. <laughs> This doesn't get noticed. It goes unpunished. But he says he did it because he was spitting in the Fords, the Celtic Fords' faces. Keeps flying up. Riot police keep having to come on to separate the players it's from each other. It's a tough night out for the riot police. It's, yeah, the, the police are out there the whole time. The referee at this point, he suddenly decides that um, a Celtic player, Bertie Old, has been the major culprit and he sends him off. So Celtic are down to seven men at this point. Yep. He's sent off in the 88th minute. He refuses to leave. And the ref has lost such control. He doesn't go off he and the doesn't ref doesn't go. do anything. Oh, where's that guy with the sword? <laughs> That's right. Need him. <laughs> so he just stays on. Were there any cards given out or is it just straight to reds? You're straight just, reds. You're most just your out. Yellows and reds. So the Raw Statistics were Celtic had seen four of their players sent off. Racing had their numbers reduced by two. So he had six men sent off. The referee had awarded a total of 52 free kicks across the game. Celtic just lose the plot, basically, yeah. in response to racing's... Antagonisation. Yeah. Racing Club want to do a lap of honour around the stadium because they've won yeah. the World Club Championship, effectively, the International Cup. Well, they could swim a lap yeah, in, they could the, swim in the, the moat. <laughs> <laughs> the Uruguayan fans had been, by this stage, started to support Celtic fully because of how dirty yeah, it had yeah. been. They throw so many things that they have to stop it and they... The racing players all have to hide in the middle of the centre circle so they can't get hit by things until riot police clear away to their dressing room. So <laughs> it's Three all, votes for the riot police tonight. Yeah. The game finishes and weirdly there's two bits of sportsmanship. Racing club defender Roberto Perfumo, he makes his way to the tunnel and he's approached by the Celtic captain uh, Billy McNeil and he thinks, uh-oh, this guy's going to kill me. And then McNeil says, shake hands and they exchange jerseys and Perfumo hugs McNeil and says to him in Spanish, this is how football should be played. <laughs> <laughs> McNeil smiles and replies in perfect Spanish, uh, bueno suerte, bueno suerte, which is good luck, good luck. Perfumo later expressed his appreciation of McNeil's sportsmanship and said it was the most treasured moment of the world championship. Now, this is even weirder. Tommy Gemmell, who's given Raffo a huge kick in the nuts kick in the balls, just yeah. a few minutes before, he says Raffo running over to him after the game, smiling, and he's like, what's going on here? And he made signals, and at first he thought, he's making signals like, I want to fight you. Yeah. So he gets ready to fight him, and then he realizes he wanted to swap jerseys. So they swap <laughs> jerseys, even though he's just given him this huge kick in this the nuts. This is incredible. And the, so the racing guys, have they don't mind. They're like, I don't have anything. So it's not, nothing personal for them. Yeah. It's all just... Gamesmanship. He said, Raffo looked so darn friendly, I felt I couldn't turn him down. So I warily got out of my one sleeve first, then the other, then stepping back quickly because he thought he was... <laughs> he got to take he advantage was, of thought, me. Well, he the... thought he was waiting for when he lifted his jumper up that Raffo's going to hit him. So he quickly gets out of it. And they swapped and they warmly shook hands. You can't kick a bloke in the balls and still shake his hand yeah. moments later. Yeah. What's the world coming exactly. to? Exactly. Raffo then takes it, has a huge grin on his face, and in English he shouts back, what a wonderfully accurate kick <laughs> to the nuts. Yeah. <laughs> he hit, hit the ball. Bend it like Beckham moment. Yeah. So Tommy Gamble says that he thought Raffo would have nothing he'd want to do with him after kicking him in the nuts, but he took home the souvenir and he says still to this day he has this nice framed number 11 jumper in his house as Incredible. a memory of it. So in terms of red cards, 
Celtic had never received more red cards in a game before or since. So it's the, it was sort of this thing. The highest number of red cards dished out in a match ever, though, in the Guinness uh, World Records book, is 36. Now, you'd think that... So one every two minutes. Well, and you think 11 aside, how can you have 36, <laughs> right? The man says, 2011, an Argentinian fifth division match kicked off in a huge way. A brawl broke out amongst the players on the pitch almost before it started. Right. Then the subs get involved. Then the coaches get involved. The referee was so unimpressed, he sent everyone off with a red. <laughs> it's an early night. Every single, every coach... Sub and player got a red, Go which is how you get to 36. Before kickoff? It just started, like within the first sort of five minutes. Jeez. So that's the that's the record. Now Celtic says after this, Jock Sign says, I would not bring a team to South America again for all the money in the world. He's like, okay. we're never doing this. Press coverage is scathing. Reuters describes the match as a barroom brawl with soccer skills abandoned for swinging fists, flying boots, and blatant body checking. Another one said it was a sad and lamentable encounter. Stein said, I'm not a man who's easily scared. And when you see pictures of him and hear yeah, him, you know that to be it. true. But I'm not ashamed to admit I was terrified at that game. Bob Kelly, the chairman, said that he was glad Celtic didn't win at that game. He said, I think there is no doubt that had we won or drawn the game and thereby won the world title, there would have been such serious trouble as would have shaken the very foundations of the football world. How our players have, would have fared at the hands of players and spectators who would not have stopped at anything, I shudder to imagine. There you go. So he says that. So Celtic returned to Scotland. All this has been shown and without a lot of the context mm -hmm. of the Celtic players responding. So they return home and instead of being like, well, it's fair enough what you did, the Celtic players are all called hooligans and... By their own fans. By their own fans and by the press. Like, Have they know, not seen the game? Well, some haven't seen the whole game and some just see it as like they should have never responded and never reacted Jeez. like this. To the point where Jock Stein was going to get a knighthood because he'd won the European Cup. And then the Prime Minister, Harold Wilson, a few years later explained that his name had been removed from the honours list after the unfortunate events in South America. <laughs> <laughs> this is the difference. Racing... They go back to Argentina and they're hugely fated and they're just, all the media is saying this is a huge thing for Argentina. This is wonderful. Supporters of rival clubs even like it. They had all this joy. They all receive a brand new car <laughs> and 2,000 pounds bonus. Well done, lads. The Celtic players all get fined, 250 pound fine for their behavior over there. Unbelievable. So while the Argentinian media is celebrating all of this and racing club success, it's seen as this huge thing and it's seen as a great pride for South America over European football as well. It seemed like Racing Club are now international world well, club no, champions. Like, so it seems like canonized. never going to get any higher. Only one paper in the whole of Argentina said any expresses any unease. They say, and this is Claren, one of the things they say, racing took the illicit road to victory. They brought back the cup, but that was all. So they're the only ones that say the voice this was of pretty dissent. dodgy. Yeah. Yeah. Independe fans who are their big rivals who are across the river from them, yes. to, or the, sorry, 200 metres from their stadium and hate each other, sure. they're the only ones that aren't too thrilled with racing winning this. So Ball's they decide no to get revenge. So they enter uh, El Salandro. See saliva flying. They enter on the night they're all celebrating and racing and celebrating. The night they win the cup, a group of Independent fans they manage to get into the stadium of racing, 
and they decide to bury seven dead black cats under the goal mouths on racing's pitch, under the pitch. Black cats being incredibly bad luck in South America as they are in most places. Okay. Don't ask where they got seven dead black cats. I don't think there's an RSPCA Were they already there. dead? <laughs> yeah, so that's right. right. Yeah. So then this was a curse that was going to stop racing ever have success ever again. The backdrop to this is racing while well, they're at the top. This is basically where the Intercontinental Club starts to go downhill. The next few were marred by violence. No good. Everyone gives up on it. But racing, thinking that this is their peak, they suddenly start to have, they hear about this, the curse of El Cilindro. And they start to scoff at the idea that this is going to affect them. And they think these idiots, you know. Do they know the cats are there? Yeah, they've heard of the curse, but they just think it's ridiculous. Let's leave the cats there. Yeah. Are they in a 434 <laughs> <Yeah>, formation <laughs> at least? Or they, what do they do? So suddenly on the last day of the 67 season, with the curse now in place, they lose the title. They miss out on their eighth title in a row. The next year they lose again for it. And then it proceeds to be the year later they sack Juan Jose Pizzuti, who's the coach, the yeah. coach in Celtic, because they've gotten so bad. And so people start to think, do you think this curse has something in it? A decade after the Battle of Montevideo, no silverware has been won Nothing. by racing. They've gone from being the dominant world champions, yeah. win everything in Argentine football, to not winning anything. So in 1980, Juan Carlos Toto Lorenzo is appointed racing coach. He decides to tackle the curse head on. He says, this is not good. He presides the club to try and lift the curse by finding and removing the remains of the dead cats. So he says, you have to dig up the pitch. Go and do it. Which is, for a football club that's operating all the time, this is a big thing to do. So they do that and they find six skeletons. Now, the legend always suggested that seven cats were buried. So they only find six. So Toto thinks, well, we haven't got all of them, but we've got six of them. And he instructs, (laughs) <laughs> to end the curse, six dead toads to be buried where each of the cat skeletons has been. And this, this happened. Toads, good luck or something. <laughs> so they think, well, that's going to work. That's going to fix it. But once again, racing, they start to do all, but then they fall away and the curse seems to still be in place and everyone is furious. They actually get relegated and everyone once again goes, we've gone from in the best since this curse has been in, no silverware, we're relegated. Yeah. And people start to go, well, the seventh cat <laughs> was never found, right? This Get is back the, in there. Yeah, was the, is the curse. Break out the shovels. Yeah. The toads haven't worked. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> Which, you know, is usually a no-brainer. The toads can't. So they say, well, we, what are we going to do? They decided it's time to bring in the big guns. Mm. which in South America is the Catholic Church. So they turned to the Catholic Church in 1998. They organise massive crowds together from the big cathedral in town and do a torchlight procession to the stadium. (laughs) 100,000 people show up. Oh, my. To march in this. It's led by Father Horatio Della Barca and 500 torches are carried in this procession, right? On arriving at the ground, he says the priest says mass. He sprinkles holy water on all the goal ma- on both goal mats inside the goal square. Yeah, they then have after the mass they have a concert between it all, and a banner's hung in the ground that reads, "God is a racing fan, the devil is not." <laughs> <laughs> they should sing that. Yeah, you know that that should be one of their chants. Catholic Church says, "Well, we've now the holy water, the march. You know, this yes. should help." Racing's president said, "This is not an exorcism, but an act of faith." The same faith displayed by the fans who stoically go to the stadium every Sunday. We are uniting Roman Catholicism with racingism. <laughs> You'd think this would work almost immediately. Surely that's it. Surely that's Curse it. gone. Immediately, racing 
go bankrupt. <laughs> Multi-million debts are discovered. It's the toads. And it seems that the court-appointed accountant who looks into this bankruptcy says, racing clubs cease to exist. It's done. Yeah. The curse is not, it's ended it. Way to check, please. Racing say their fans all start to protest this. They manage to get it turned around where they halt the club's liquidation and keep it alive. But it's really not looking good. And so a guy called Ronaldo Merlo is appointed as the new coach of this cash-strapped racing in late 2000. So no one really wants it. His nickname is Mustaza, which is mustard due to the distinct hair colouring he has. (laughs) Everyone thinks he's going to be hopeless. Right. Okay. Like, you know, uh, the curse continues. Well, who, yeah, yeah, now who go. wants to go there when they're, they they're losing and then they're bankrupt, right? So Merlo's famed for superstitions. Mm. So whenever opponents launch an attack on his team goal, he makes a hand gesture to bring the team luck to ward off the opposition. So this is the kind of guy. He also considered flowers to be unlucky because he associated them with funerals. Right. So naturally opposition's fans would shower him with flowers <laughs> at every opportunity. <laughs> I've just been hitting the head with a chewel. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So they do that all the time. He knew all about racing's curse. He's yeah. a superstitious man. And he believed that the club would never win the league again unless that seventh cat, cat. could be found. So he persuades his first act is he goes to the board and says, we have to dig up not just the pitch but the whole concrete moat that surrounds the pitch in the stadium. We've got to dig it all up. And they do, and they find a seventh cat. There it is. There it is. And so he says, I found the seventh cat. And they have to rebuild after the stadium, but they've <laughs> they've found it. So yeah. now that he's got it, by the end of the year, he leads them back to the championship. Oh, wow. Just from doing that. So suddenly he says, getting rid of the cat is the whole reason they've returned to being champions. I've got to say, on the timeline, the logic, I'm doing, in evidence, he's right. Yeah. So that's the end of their curse. Now, to finish off, Jock Stein, yes. who's led Celtic to all this success. He should goes, be Sir Jock Stein, well, by he the should way. Be. He lives until 1985 and yeah. he dies while watching a game of football. He's actually coaching it. Mm. He's coaching Scotland take on Wales in a World Cup qualifier on September 10, 1985. Scotland have just scored a penalty, which yeah. is going to qualify them to continue on, like get them the chance to make the World Cup. He sits down on the sidelines, looks at his watch, knows the game's pretty much finished and they're going to win and basically then has a pulmonary edema, which is fluid built up in the lungs and stops talking and he falls over and passes away right there and then. So when they should be celebrating, he's died. And so it's this huge impact in Scotland. It turns out he stopped taking the prescribed medication for his heart disease because it was interrupting his match preparations. (laughs) This is how full on. At the time, his death had this profound impact on Scottish football. Aberdeen manager and assistant coach for Scotland, who requires Stein and his mentor, is Alex Ferguson. Oh, wow. Who goes on to coach yeah. Manchester yeah. United. And that's the And legacy. gets a knighthood. And gets a knighthood. <laughs> so that's the story of the 1967 International oh, Cup. Fluid on the lungs. He should have spat on an Argentinian <laughs> player with all that fluid. Well, that's astonishing from start to finish. How racing go today? Well, yeah, they've been pretty yeah. good. Like, yeah. you know, just shows you if you want to really get back at an enemy, bury some dead cats. You know what they should have done? 
buried Josh Stein in the gold square <laughs> at racing had reapplied the curse. Jock would love that. Oh, he would. He'd be all up for it. Oh, uh, well done, mate. Well, thank you very much. And well done to all the fans of football out there, whoever you follow. If you want more Sports Bazaar, simply go to any of our socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. We've got the whole lot. And we also have Bazaar Plus, our membership program, where you can get even more content. The link to that is just in the show notes.